So I've never met a coach who wouldn't agree that the mental game, what goes on between an athlete's ears, is the greatest inhibitor to an athlete reaching their full potential. And yet I've met very few coaches who feel confident in being able to help assist their athletes in closing the mental gap or overcoming those mental hurdles. Today's guest is going to share some simple, easy, practical ways to help our athletes in their mental performance. Lisa Mitzel is a prominent mental training and mental health coach. She's the author of two books and the founder and president of Zen Tiger Mind, which produces equipment and merchandise for mental training and athlete wellness. Um, She's the creator of the Mental Power Station. She's an international speaker and clinician, former head women's gymnastics coach at Stanford University, an elite gymnast, NCAA national champion, six-time All-American, member of four NCAA national championship teams at the University of Utah, and a Hall of Fame inductee. And I know you'll find a lot of value in our conversation today. Welcome to the Coaching Culture Podcast. I'm your host, J.P. Nurbin, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Nate Sanderson. The mission of this podcast is to help you become a better leader and build a better culture. In addition to this podcast, I'm the founder of TOC, which provides one-on-one coaching and consulting for leaders. Learn more about us at tocculture.com. This episode is brought to you by the TOC newsletter. Every Thursday, our newsletter includes two things you don't want to miss out on. Firstly, the notes to that week's podcast episode. Whether you're listening while driving the car, out for a run, or doing the dishes, we don't want you to miss the biggest takeaways from each episode. Secondly, each newsletter is a short article from myself or Nate on leadership and culture. These articles are designed to inspire, encourage, and provide practical insights into leadership and culture building. Our content is a perfect fit for anyone who wants to stay up to date with the latest trends and insights in culture building. You can subscribe to the newsletter at tocculture.com or by clicking on the link in the details of each episode. So Lisa, we are excited to have you on the podcast today. It's been uh, quite a long time coming. I remember first hearing about you a few months ago and I've been pouring through podcasts and some of your information and your books, um, just kind of soaking up so much really good content that you have around the mental aspect of mental health, safe sport uh, and gymnastics and all sports. So we're going to have a great conversation today. I want to get started with just kind of giving your experience in sports and just having you and giving you an opportunity to share that with our listeners here so they can understand how your experience in sports have shaped and kind of led you into your work today. And so I'll just kind of leave it there for you. If you could just kind of give us an overview of, you know, how you got into gymnastics and then how that's led you to the mental, mental training and performance aspect of of your work. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Well, I, guess I was born wanting to go upside down. So <laughs> that, that was just innate. Uh, but then I also, uh, at a young age, I was in a big family. Um, and uh, ultimately, I have four brothers uh, and two sisters. But as a young kid, there were five of us. And uh, I think, you know, sports was just part of our family activity. You know, I ran around with the boys. I was in a tree. I was in the river. We were catching fish by hand. I was playing kickball in in the street. Uh, I played football with the boys. So that just kind of led to, you know, I was nurtured, let's say. I was nurtured. And uh, and then was 1972 when I saw the Olympics and 
you know, like many uh, young girls at that time, watched Olga Corbett and um, and my parents, uh, they found out about a local, um, like a recreation, parks and recreation program. And uh, they signed me up because I was flipping on the furniture. <laughs> so that's, that's what got me into gymnastics. <clears throat> what got me into coaching gymnastics and then after that, uh, being a mental training and mental health coach is uh, I was at the University of Utah and I learned so much about kind of creating a championship mindset. And uh, it was very different at the university level than when I was a club gymnast. And uh, in club gymnastics, I learned how to train very, very hard. And I was training like 30 hours a week. And, uh, and then in college, uh, it was more of a whole kind of whole person strategy, whole uh, team culture strategy, whole community connection. Um, we did an opening for a restaurant. We, you know, um, we signed autographs. There was like connection with the community. And so when I got out of gymnastics, uh, somebody offered me a coaching job and, uh, and I felt like I had something to contribute. So I think when you feel that, that maybe you have some kind of a purpose to lead young girls to work hard, to have certain values and philosophies uh, about themselves, about a team, um, about family and community, right? And um, and so I felt compelled to want to coach and, and develop uh, these young people. And then uh, it was more than 10 years ago, uh, I was asked, um, well, I was coaching at a gym and, uh, and I asked the, the owner if I could do some clinics in an extra room that they had. And I was already starting to teach athletes mental skills. And uh, that happened because when I was 15, I worked with a sports psychologist and that really changed my life. Uh, and then also at the University of Utah, we worked very closely with a sports psychologist. And again, huge impact. Both of those gentlemen, Dr. Ken Revisa uh, at Cal State Fullerton, and then uh, Dr. Keith Henschen at the University of Utah, they infused me with this idea that if I just pause, take a breath and use the mental skills that, um, you know, how I use my mind is actually going to direct me towards the success that I want. Yeah. Lisa, I wonder if you could give us from an athlete's perspective, what that first moment was like when you tried that mental skill for the first time and found it to work? Because I think sometimes our coaches are maybe tentative to start tiptoeing into that water, not sure how it's going to be received at, as an athlete. But what was it like for you the first time that you felt like, wow, there's something to this? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, it was a little bit of a learning curve uh, because you, you, you guys understand athletes and, and all of us were, and I conclude myself in that group, you know, we want to be productive. We want to move. It's all about, you know, action, action. So when I had this accident uh, in gymnastics, I was tumbling and I went up in the air for a couple uh, flips. It was a double back. 
and it was sort of like Simone Biles in the, the Olympics. Uh, I got the, the twisties. I got lost in the air and uh, I crashed. And so it was a bad crash. I was knocked unconscious and I had a big lump on my head. And so that's what initially took me to the sports psychologist as I started to become afraid of my skills. And after a month, I had lost like 70% of my skills. It was like an amnesia. And so I had a reason to sit there in this office, this sports psychologist's office at Cal State Fullerton, um, because I was going to quit if I couldn't get better. So there was a reason to do it. And yet it was very difficult to sit there. And he was very low key. He was like, hey, Lisa, how you doing? <laughs> Let's. And then he'd have these big brown eyes and he would just be like, well, you can tell me when were you afraid? When does it start? And I'm thinking, okay, I kind of want to tell him, but I should be in the gym working out. <laughs> so I was antsy, you know, and, and I even experienced that to a certain degree with uh, the athletes that I work with today when we're first starting to learn the skills. So I can see coaches still saying, why are we doing this, right? Um, but when I very first started listening to them, uh, it was Dr. Ken Revisa and then the head coach at Cal State Fullerton, Lynn Rogers. Uh, Ken would work with me for one hour and then Lynn would join us for the second hour. And I worked with them two hours a day, twice a week for almost three months. And I accumulated almost 40 hours of work. And when I very first started listening to them say, slow down, okay, because I would, I would freeze up. I, they, we'd be in the gym and I'd be trying to do a very simple gymnastic skill, like going backwards for a back walk over, a very slow kind of bendy trick where you put your hands down behind you. And I would freeze up and he'd say, slow down. It's okay. Take your time. I've got you. Take a breath. Can you imagine it? And he taught me how to visualize it in slow motion. Okay, here I am standing. Here I am looking up at the ceiling. Now I'm reaching back. Okay, I can see the floor. You know, and we would do it like baby steps. And that was a light bulb. That was the moment where I said, Oh, I can see it. I can feel it. And you start to feel more in control instead of out of control. And then you start to feel safe that I'm not going to get hurt. And so that was specifically uh, because I was afraid. Uh, and then there were other moments of just being able to calm myself down when I felt myself like, you know, the 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 triggers of being afraid and your nervous system starting to get shaky, you know, everything feels awful. Um, just being able to sit with it and and not let it control me. That that was another light bulb moment. Like, okay, this is not easy, but I I can do this. I can get through this. I resonate with you in a couple things in that. One is as athletes and coaches are resistant to mental training. I think typically, you know, uh, for me as a coach, when I was coaching basketball and teams, 
I try to do mental stuff with my players, but they, like you said, they're like, oh, why do I need the players are like, why do I need this? And typically a player would only be open to it when they had hit rock bottom as an athlete, like you, you were at rock bottom or they were that high performer looking for that edge. And so for me, I'm like, well, I do this with my team. Like, you know, like only like I'd wait till a guy came to me for rock bottom and then I might, you know, prescribe them a few, okay, let's do some, you know, what went well journal logs and a few things like that. I mean, obviously I had very limited, I'm not a skilled like you, but I can also resonate as a, as a leadership coach in this, in this space, because the coaches that come to me for, you know, leadership coaching and culture work have typically hit rock bottom where they're really high performers. And then there's like this 90% of people in the middle that don't, don't reach out, you know? Um, so my, my question in all this is what are ways to reach that, those people in the middle, you know, the ones that are maybe not just constantly looking for the, anything that's going to give them an edge in their sport and the ones that haven't hit rock bottom, how do coaches approach athletes amongst the whole team of 15 basketball players, 12 volleyball players, 40 lacrosse players, or 80 American football players, or whatever sport it is. Like, how do you try to get everyone interested and engaged in this mental training? Because like you said, it doesn't feel like work. It does feel like work because it's really hard, but it doesn't feel like, oh, I'm in the gym and I'm lifting. Like you lift weights, you feel stronger instantly, right? Like you do feel that strength. (laughs) You go do a visualization or whatever, you know, stuff that you have people do. Like, it could just feel really boring at times. Yeah. Excellent question. Uh, You know, for a moment I was thinking, yeah, what would I do? But all of a sudden it flew into my mind. (laughs) Um, So I don't, I don't think that, um, that there, that it's a loss unless somebody is completely, um, the extreme where they're just only about the physical. There's certain coaches and coaching styles where they're only about the physical and they're just not ready yet in their own journey, right? But the people that have genuine, the coaches and the programs who have genuine interest in um, in having a richer experience for their programs. And, uh, and I mean this in a way where they, they want the business of, uh, you know, parents and families signing up with them. They want to see their programs uh, succeed. They're looking for uh, tools at times. It may not be because they're on the high performance, you know, like, you know, winning, 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 um, uh, driven, you know, for success. And it may not be because that, like you said, that they're at that desperate place and they hit rock bottom but they're looking for an overall richer experience. And that's, that's when, to me, it's a one-on-one conversation with whether it's the head coach or the owner of gym, of a gymnastics club. And to me, it's people skills, it's relationships. I'm not here to sell my service to you. I'm here to listen to you to see you know, what is your, what, what are your staff members going through and what can I do to support them? And all of a sudden I'll start hearing stories about, uh, yeah, you know, one of my coaches, uh, he just doesn't have the patience and he hasn't really uh, learned how to work with the kids in a way that's going to build their confidence, uh, or he doesn't know what to do when they start to struggle. And so it's those little 
kind of almost private personal stories of the coaches when they're not at their best, when they feel at a loss, uh, and how I can help to create that um, connection or help them create the connection with their athletes. And I know, JP, you're all about this. Um, and uh, because it is relationship first, and then it's, okay, how can I help you? And, and I talk to coaches about that this is a job of service, you know, it's a service leadership or servant leadership, sorry. And, um, and that really resonates with a lot of coaches who are not the most driven, right? And, and, and not rock bottom, but they really want to help create um, a richer culture within their program, within their families. So I'm thinking about this, you're working and you're talking about having conversations with coaches there, but you've also done a lot of work with individual athletes, you know, and part of what I think we run into is, you know, JP and I, obviously we see the value in this. I see the value in this with my own team. And yet even I feel a little bit tentative as a coach of trying to present this to an individual athlete or present this, you know, to our families, Hey, we're going to invest some time into this. And so I'm just curious if the resistance is, is the same from coaches. Coaches push back for X, Y, and Z. Do athletes sometimes push back for the same reasons, or is there a difference in the perception of maybe the value of the mental skills from an individual athlete to a, a coach that's maybe trying to implement something with their team? So for athletes, I feel like they need something very tangible that's going to help them right now, that's going to shift a thought in their mind right now. Um, if they're, I mean, if everything's going great, right. And, and they haven't already had the nurturing, uh, or the introduction to any kind of a mental skill, and they don't seem to have a curious personality, <laughs> then, uh, they're not likely going to get engaged on that day. Right. But uh, but if they just want to feel like I do group clinics for for teams, for young athletes, uh, I worked with college teams and the two of the most common things that they want. Is they want to feel more in control. And they want to feel more confident. And so that resonates with them. They want to, you know, because. Parents and coaches rule the world, <laughs> right? <laughs> Children, teenagers, they don't often feel that they have a voice. And so what I teach them is I say, and this is at the beginning of my book, Focused and on Fire, is uh, I say, whose voice is the uh, most important voice in the whole world for the rest of your life? And uh, sometimes I'll say my mom. <laughs> And I'll say, yeah. And I, I, I teach them, I say, it's your voice. Your voice is the most important voice, you know, for the rest of your life, right? And uh, you have all the power. And I think that kids love that. They love to feel that they have power. And so that's one of the things that I emphasize. As a matter of fact, I just got some new t-shirts made up and it says, I have all the power. <laughs> and, um, and it comes from a place of being in tune with yourself. What am I thinking? What am I feeling? Am I breathing? And that's where it starts. 
And so sometimes I can kind of engage the kids right there. Um, sometimes it's out of a place of fear. They're afraid to disappoint their coach. They're afraid that their parent is going to, you know, ask them questions again after practice and they don't, they're, you know, they're getting annoyed. Uh, they're starting to get tired of hearing, you know, having to report. Um, they're afraid of failure. So that's another way to engage them. But if you find it's sort of like, what's their currency? <laughs> you know, what what's important to them? Do they want to feel powerful? Do they want to avoid uh, the the conflict, you know, the interaction with a, with a coach or a parent? Uh, so that's where I can find a way to connect with them and, and just start with one or two mental skills. It doesn't have to be like, you know, the whole practice and you, we're going to work together for three months. You know, it's not, it's just what, what would help you today? What's important to you today? Yeah. What I'm really hearing is whether you're working with an individual or a team, you're really focused on the needs of the athletes and you're trying to connect to them through their yeah. needs and their wants, you know, and that confidence and control. That really resonates with me because I think so oftentimes, you know, you know, one of the big things I encourage coaches on through our personal development plans or player development plans, or, you know, is when you're sitting down, you're having one-on-ones with your athletes is, you know, coaches are like, well, where should I start? I should, you should start where the athlete wants to start. You know, what, what is, what do they want to talk about? What is important to them? What are their goals? What are their aspirations? And from there, then you can offer that support. And you could come up with the right amount of the right tools, the right, the right, you know, you can, you can kind of mentor and guide after that part. Mm-hmm. I, I want to touch on something there. I think is really important in just even your intro there is just, you're, you're not just mental training. You're not just training the mental game. I've got, if I look behind me on my books, I've got all these books on the mental game, you know, of sports. And then there's a whole other section of books on mental health, right? I've got all these things that I read on. There's not a lot of people that are doing both, you know, and I think that's really phenomenal that you're doing both because I think that they are not exclusive. They, they support each other would be my belief, but tell us a little bit about, you know, how you see the mental training and the mental health components and coaching both of those things within individuals, how they're so important and interconnected. Yeah, they're very interwoven. Uh, Thank you so much for asking that, JP. Uh, you know, I I always had a strong sense that when, and this is from the time I was a teenager, that when I when I felt less stressed, when I felt more connected to uh, my desires, uh, when I felt like I could think clearly and have a strategy or a plan, right? that I was in a better place. I felt better about myself. I felt more energetic, right? I felt more creative. Uh, I was happier. And so when I attended, um, I actually did a training in mental health first aid. And if you haven't heard of it, uh, whoever's listening, I would highly recommend uh, doing this program. Uh, I, I want to say it was, I did it three years ago. And so it's probably time for me to renew. And uh, this was specific to coaches, although they do have programs for parents as well. And, uh, and they have, I think, programs for people in the workplace and whatnot. But in the coaching aspect, uh, this is to help coaches identify 
what are early signs of mental health issues with uh, athletes. And uh, the education was just, honestly, it was profound. And I thought it was so spot on for coaches to be able to develop themselves in that area. Uh, so prior to the three years ago, um, I know that athletes get depressed. Uh, when I was coaching at Stanford University in the 90s, uh, it was very important to me as a, as a gymnastics coach to understand what they were doing or to, at the very least, nurture uh, their ability to take care of themselves and to feel in control of their lives, to feel like they had a voice, to feel that they could reduce their stress. And so um, I did teach them mental skills. I, I have always integrated that into my gymnastics coaching. But uh, in the last few years, I've expanded to emphasize uh, the mental health through compassion practice, uh, through empathy practice, and through the breathing, relaxing, and meditation practice. And uh, whether it's your, you, you as the athlete or you as the coach, uh, these practices are not typical. They're not common uh, in coach development programs. Uh, they're not common during practice. <laughs> uh, okay, we're going to line up everybody and we're going to do some breathing and meditation. You know, <laughs> yeah, we don't usually do that in sports. And uh, through my practice as a mental training coach over the last 10 plus years, uh, it's just been like magic. When I help these kids learn, when I help the parents learn because I'll have a, a mother daughter or a father daughter pair. I primarily work with uh, female gymnasts, but I worked with many athletes. Um, but when I pair them up and I have them repeat certain words to each other, uh, this is absolutely magical. They all of a sudden, they become more in tune with themselves. They feel like they can hear the stress just kind of like falling off of them because they're being very real. Like, um, I'm nervous uh, to go to the gym today. And the mom repeats, you're nervous to go to the gym today. All of a sudden, just in that, the child feels seen and heard. Instead of, well, what are you nervous for? You're going to be fine. That's dismissive. That dismisses that they actually need to acknowledge this emotion that they're having right now. And so, mom, I want you, you know, uh, what I need is to just feel loved. Okay. I hear that you just need to feel loved. I don't want to feel coached by you. Some, some kids, they'll say, my mom like wants to coach me. <laughs> right. And I'll say to the mom, shh, shh. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll joke around. I go, do you want to do you want to put a piece of tape on her mouth? And she'll say, yeah. <laughs> and so we'll be playful about it. But it's really uh, so mentally healthy for these kids and the parents and the coaches to be able to acknowledge, you know, it's like you've talked about, JP, it's the emotional intelligence factor. And all of that leads into people being able to manage their emotions, right? 
And to me, that's what mental health is, is it's not that you're happy all the time. It's that you really learn to manage your emotions and your decisions, you know, that you feel that you have the ability to think clearly. You feel that you have the ability to make a good decision, right? Yeah. And I just want to share, you know, share one thought on that and have a quick question for you. Just what you're sharing resonates because I think I've come to the place where I'd love to do mental performance training with my athletes and that stuff's valuable. But like you said, if they're coming in there and they're experiencing such high levels of anxiety, their window of tolerance is so small, then they become triggered so easily. Then, you know, what's, what's the point, you know, like at the end of the day, I can do a visualization of the free throw and I set the free throw and all day, I think I have so much on the line to make that free throw and everyone's counting on me and the pressure to, I got to prove everybody. And I don't, I'm not gonna feel loved if I miss it. Like, well, I could have visualized a thousand times, but it's not going to, you know, it's not going to keep me from that. Uh, it's not gonna help me make that free throw right at, in that moment. So I think what you're sharing is, is really, really powerful. I am encouraged that more coaches are introducing things like meditation. We actually just had a guest on talking about at Stanford, their water polo coach does meditations with them on the sidelines. Awesome. That, that compassion and empathy practice. I'm curious more, what might that look like for, for Nate and his team or some other coach out there today? How might they do that? Because I think we all know what mindfulness and meditation is, but yeah, what would be a compassion or empathy practice be that would be practical for a coach today? Right. So thank you. I, I love that you were curious about that because um, we do hear about, uh, you know, like you said, like a, a coach at Stanford and water polo is now doing some meditation. It is, it, we're at, I think we're in the baby stages or in the early stages of uh, coaches awareness and then also learning and then also applying. So uh, that is definitely, you know, starting to roll out uh, here and there. Self-compassion. I took a course uh, in the spring called Mindful Self-Compassion. And if you're not familiar with Kristen Neff, she is uh, she's a doctor and she is seen as the Western pioneer of self-compassion. But what mindful self-compassion is and what I would consider self-compassion practice in sports is you take little short exercises and you implement them with your team and you can start out like saying okay so athletes are very physical they're very in tune with their body's movement right most of the time <laughs> they're not not as in tune with their thoughts and and their emotions but uh when you put your hands here on your chest this is a universal position and sign of either wanting to feel safe right or saying I am safe, right? And so uh, what we want to do is teach athletes and, and coaches that it just takes a moment of being a friend to yourself. That's what self-compassion is. It's being a friend to yourself. So if you're saying, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I don't know what to do. I'm scared. Uh, my coach is going to get mad. Um, I, I don't want to fail. I don't want to disappoint my team. Putting your hands right here on your chest. Uh, one on top of the other, for those who are listening, and taking a breath and closing your eyes, and you just rock side to side or back and forth. And you take deep breaths 
and you you can even thump kind of pat your top hand almost like a heartbeat you know like this and you can simply just say i'm okay it's okay everything's going to be okay you can say i love myself i'm a friend to myself and I have woven this into actually some new equipment that you know we will probably talk about in a little bit. But uh, it's I want to feel calm and control and safe, and I am a friend to myself. I care for myself, and it's really simple. That's just one little exercise, and there's a bunch. There's there's many, and uh, when we teach athletes to do this, then they can actually have that tool in their little mental toolbox to be able to take 10 seconds or 30 seconds to do that for themselves organically, right? Uh, there's all kinds of tools. And I think that when we teach them that they can practice self-compassion, which scientifically, actually, this is the mind blower right here, is it's been studied in research that self, when you practice self-compassion, you will become more resilient. So if they missed a free throw shot and they say a few words to themselves that are in that uh, tone of, it's okay, you're doing great, you can make this one, you're a friend to yourself, right? Uh, that self-compassion will help them to be more resilient and make the next shot. So uh, to me, that was the game changer. <laughs> it wasn't just, you know, like, I want to feel better. It's, I want to perform better. I want to bounce back. So it, to me, it's just fantastic. And I would say some of those phrases there wouldn't really resonate with me as like, I'm, but what I do understand and what I think you're, as far as like, I'm a friend to myself. I, I think what we're trying to do is trying to get athletes to maybe examine the current way they're thinking, their current thought habits, the self-talk and then replace those with more beneficial ways of, of thinking, right? Oh, yes. And, yes. and so I imagine if I was to take this back to a team, I might even take time with the athletes to say, okay, when you're in these pressure situations, what is your thinking? You know, and getting them to be aware of that and then say, okay, what, what thoughts might be more beneficial? What thoughts would better serve you in those moments? And then maybe have them come up with those and then, you know, have them to train that. I think that that's really, really powerful. Yeah, well, to me, that's I write about that and teach that uh, with my clients all the time is uh, kind of noticing what are my negative thoughts right now, what's stopping me right now, and writing that down, getting it out, and then what can I replace that with? Um, yeah, I, that's definitely a mental skill or it's a mental exercise that I do. Uh, the self-compassion, you know, um, whether you're a nurse, whether you're, you know, <laughs> a techie person and you're working 80 hours a week, whether you're an athlete, uh, you're going to feel tired. You're going to feel frustrated. You're going to feel these different emotions. And you often start criticizing yourself. And that's going to actually keep you stuck. So when you, <clears throat> you don't have to say the words that I said, I'm a friend to myself, I love myself. Uh, it can be, uh, I work hard, I'm a good person, you know, it can be those types of things, but it's in the tone of, it's okay, everything's going to be okay. And uh, you talk to yourself like you're, 
Like if your mom or your dad or a good friend was saying, hey, you work so hard, you, you're so dedicated, you, I, I admire you. Um, you know, it's those types of things that we want to say to ourselves that we don't usually do that at all um, in a way that there's that feeling of compassion for yourself. You find that when you do some of this training about self-compassion, that having that self-awareness and working collectively sort of as a team also makes teammates more empathetic towards each other in those moments or when they're facing, you know, a pressure situation or failure. And are there steps there? Do you do you have things that you encourage them to do for each other as teammates, knowing that there are those hard moments in performance that they can in some way enhance each other? Yeah, in fact, I'll ask uh, the if I have a client that I'm working with, uh, I'm trying to think of one right now because I know I did this recently. Uh, I said, okay, so who's one one girl on the team, one or two girls on the team that are your friends that you could ask for help or that you could, you know, um, get a high five from, or you could tell them, you know, I need you to watch me. Uh, and so they'll name them. And I say, you know, when you share what your, you know, your thoughts, when you share your struggle, I said, that's an opportunity for them to help you. And I think that that's so true. What we want to do in families, in our teams, in our community, is that when we say, gosh, I'm really struggling right now, that is an opportunity for somebody else to feel really good that, hey, I can help you. You know, I want to watch you. I want to see you be successful. I want to be part of your journey. Uh, and so that's definitely um, not just a feel good, but a, I have purpose, right? As your teammate, I have purpose to be here for you today. As a teammate, I get to cheer for you and celebrate you. And that brings a deeper connection, right? And yes, I absolutely uh, teach them ways to that they can talk to each other and share uh, so that they can be stronger together and lift their team up. Yeah. And I think one of the things underlying all of that in terms of just sort of teaching that being a good teammate in those moments is that we're trying to get our, our players to be able to communicate that you still belong. Lisa, you're going to the free throw line, but your belonging and your value to us is not on the line right here, right in this performance. And obviously that's thousands of signals that build up to that we won a state championship one year and we shot 70% in the regular season. And for a long time, I'm like trying to figure this out. Like, how is this possible? Um, and part of it is our better free throw shooters got to the line more. I'll give you that. But um, but talking to the girls afterwards, it was that that was the theme that came up over and over is I knew that my teammates had my back. That would be their phrasing of the same idea that I belong no matter what happens in this moment at the line. Yes, absolutely. When you feel that um, synergy of everybody's uh, collective energy uh, and that it's okay, we're all human, we all make mistakes. And, and this is part of the self-compassion thing is like common experiences, common suffering, common pain is that we understand that my teammate has made mistakes before, and yet here they are saying, it's okay, it's all right, we believe in you, you can do it. So we all struggle, uh, you know, at different times. And when we have that 
expression of, you know, I have your back or I'm here for you, right? No matter what. And it's okay if, if, you know, if you made the mistake, let it go. It's okay. We've all made mistakes. And so you can say to yourself, okay, everybody's made this mistake before. I'm not alone, right? And that absolutely helps them to feel, you know, like a closer knit family, that they trust each other. They're there for each other. And exactly what you said, Nate, I love that about the free throw shots. (laughs) Okay, so we're going to take a break in our conversation with Lisa. In our next episode, we'll be discussing with her the role of coaches and parents in the mental health of athletes. In the meantime, you can find her at lisamitzel.com, zentigermind.com, on Instagram at mitzel underscore coach and on Twitter at Zen Tiger. Thank you for listening into the Coaching Culture Podcast. Please take 60 seconds to leave us a review, subscribe to this podcast, and share this episode with a friend if you found it valuable. This episode is brought to you by my latest book, The Culture System, a proven process for creating an extraordinary team culture. It's been endorsed by many exceptional leaders and coaches, one of those being 2022 MBA Coach of the Year, Monty Williams, who called it a special book with inspiring stories, applicable strategies, and a proven model for developing team culture. This book is more than just a collection of practical tools for leaders. It teaches a proven framework that some of the world's best organizations and teams use. It's packed with real life examples and case studies that show you how these ideas can be implemented in any context. Whether you're a coach, manager, or leader, you'll find invaluable insights to help you build the culture you want. Don't miss out on this opportunity to transform your team. Visit myculturesystem.com to learn more about the book, or you can get your copy on Amazon or Audible today.